OTB GAA Burns was on another planet this year boys like in the first half of the All-Ireland final this year Owen Murphy put a puck out down Burns puts the claw up and puts it back over the bar like. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports You're very welcome back. Champions League is progressing. I'll update you on results very shortly. So one of the more intriguing aspects of the presidential fallout is fans of President Lula chanting Neymar, now you'll have to pay your taxes in the street. Just one of the many ways football and politics intertwine just now in Brazil. Tim Vickery is with us. Interesting times, Tim. So President, if we can call him President uh, Lula, has 50.9% of valid votes against uh, former, if we can call him former President Bolsonaro, who was 49.1%. I was uh, reading the reports. I don't speak uh, Portuguese, obviously, but uh, Bolsonaro, I was reading, uh, spoke for two minutes yesterday in which he acknowledged the result without formally conceding defeat. If you can tell me what the hell that means, I would appreciate it. <laughs> I can try. Yes, we had to wait 45 hours for him to speak. Uh, and then he came up with a with this two-minute speech, which was part snarling aggression, part mewling self-pity. Welcome to the world of the man. Uh, but he, he has to steer between two points. On the one hand, he still wants to remain as the leader of the far right. In this case, he cannot concede. He, he, he must be the victim of an injustice and he must give some support to people who are out there, even as, as I speak, trying to force a military coup. There are people who've, today's a holiday in Brazil. There are people who've spent the day outside military buildings trying to force the military to, to take to the streets. There have been, uh, there's been an organized campaign to close down roads uh, to try and force, uh, uh, again, a military invention, intervention. So he has to, on the one hand, he has to play to them. And one situation uh, may be a little bit amusing, which is developing, is on the 1st of January. He is still the president until the 1st of January. Uh, by tradition, he has to ha- hand over the, uh, the, the, the presidential sash to Lula. He ain't doing that. That would be, in the eyes of his supporters, that would be the most abject humiliation. So on the one hand, he has to play the hard man of the right. On the other, he is clearly very, very afraid of prison. Now, he has been, this this, uh, man supposedly uh, an outsider from the system, has been uh, an elected politician since the late 80s. And for, for more than three decades, as an elected politician, he's had guaranteed protection. There are levels of legal protection that he has. On the 1st of January, he loses all of that. Uh, and uh, he's flirting. So that there's dangerous waters there, and there are plenty of charges that could be brought against him. Uh, all sorts of charges from what happened in the uh, in, in in the pandemic and how on earth did a country with three percent of the world's population 11, end up with more than eleven percent of, of of COVID virus deaths? Uh, two, and remember the big thing for his supporters is anti-corruption. Uh, there, there, he, he's in the last in the the decades of his political career, he and his family. There's a massive appropriation of uh, of real estate. Uh, and uh, 51 of these apartments, more than 100 apartments, 51 of them bought 
partially or wholly in cash. Now, I don't know how it affects you blokes, but that it's not a crime in itself, but it certainly looks suspicious. <laughs> so people can start looking under those rocks and he doesn't have the protection. So he's trying to, in, in, that, in that two minute, 45 hours for a two minute speech, which was scripted very carefully to try and play two ways. Yes, I am still the leader of the far right, but I am working 100% within the constitution and within the system. So it, it, it's a mixed message, but he's consistently played between those two lines. Okay, you've explained that perfectly. So of those who are gathered outside military buildings encouraging a military coup and those blocking traffic, in all but two states I read, the blocking of traffic, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Well, he does have massive support, Bolsonaro. He can mobilize huge amounts of people. And that's that's one of the reasons that many of his supporters just don't believe the election results, because they move in circles where they're only coming into contact with people who think that the way the way they do. Uh, and th there are there are huge numbers. I mean, he, Bolsonaro is an electoral phenomenon. And that's one of the things that makes his future so awkward to predict because uh, some analysts are saying that he's been trying to negotiate a, a, an amnesty for him and his family. But it's hard for democracy to let him go. He's not a good faith actor. You let him go, he's still got this block. What might happen afterwards, that there's, that there's a significant difference between Brazil and the United States in this. In that the, the United States is, is a two-party system where Donald Trump, in similar circumstances, can cry foul, doesn't have to produce any evidence, uh, but he's got, the, he's got a big party machine behind him. Brazil is much, much more fluid, much more malleable. I mean, even on the night, within minutes of Lula's victory, some allies of Bolsonaro were already inching away from him. Uh, there are, there's a, a fragmentation of, of political parties. So he, and Bolsonaro doesn't have a big party machine behind him. He, he has a he has a personal uh, appeal. Uh, but now the task of Lula and the task of Brazilian democracy is to try and separate the out and out delusional crazies from people on the right who can be brought back to the fold of normal conventional democratic politics. It's going to be a very, very hard, it, it, it's, it's a big ask. Yeah. But as I said, you already saw, you, you saw the game change within minutes of the announcement of, of victory. It was, in, it was hugely significant and clearly pre-prepared that it, within minutes of Lula's victory, world leaders from all over the place had rushed to congratulate him. Because that, 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 that's a message to forces on the right, including maybe the armed forces. Look, the world is watching and the world recognizes Lula as, as, as legitimate president. And also you were seeing a movement, as I say, of, of, of some of those Bolsonaro allies already beginning to shift away from the idea of, of trying to keep him in power by, by any means possible. But it, it's, still, it, it's still very tense. Yeah, and there is this extraordinary dynamic whereby just by dint of their profile and by dint of the popularity of football, it's interwoven in part with this whole story or certainly aspects of this story unfold via football. So here we are on the eve of the World Cup. This has been an election and we spoke about this the last time you were on the show where the Brazilian flag was hijacked, the Brazilian jersey to an extent hijacked. 
by uh, Bolsonaro in particular and there's been an effort to almost try and claim it back not least with the World Cup happening uh, where Lula fans are chanting Neymar now you'll have to pay your taxes uh, in light of this election result where the majority of players it seems who, who talk about these things publicly are Bolsonaro supporters so uh, even the Lula fans chanted about Neymar and, and his taxes. Uh, you can give us a, se- a sense of that. I mean, Neymar and his taxes, that's an ongoing issue. Um, well, perhaps I, I wouldn't want to get too involved with his uh, with, with his legal staff. So sure. uh, I'll, I'll brush over that one um, fairly quickly. Uh, I'm hopeful that the World Cup might serve as the start of some kind of healing process. Mm. It is the most powerful patriotic ritual in Brazilian society, really. Uh, and I, I love the way that the people get together and, and paint their streets and put up bunting. Uh, I, I always find because it's a celebration of themselves. It's not like a jubilee when you're celebrating a monarch. You're celebrating the ordinary kids who've come from the, those streets. And it belongs to everyone. And we've, we've seen very, very strongly in the last two weeks a real effort by the centre and the left. And the Lula government, let me stress this, it's not a, it wasn't a left-wing government before. It never was. It was always a government of the centre. And his first vice president was a textile uh, entrepreneur. It was always a government of the centre. And that's more true this time around. It's, it's a broad democratic front. Um, so we, we've seen, for people who were supporting Lula, from the centre to the left, them trying to claim back the yellow shirt. And I spent all day Sunday, uh, I was I was doing TV reports, spent all day outside a polling station. And it was very noticeable the number of people who were going along to vote in yellow shirts with Lula written on it. So that, that's a message to the far right. You ain't having it. It's ours as well. Mm. Uh, and uh, I hope that the World Cup can solidify that process whereby there can be because there, there must be a healing. There must be uh, a, a, a coming together. Uh, otherwise, this country is in is in serious, serious problems. And I, I, I think it's helpful, much more helpful than not, that they've got a chance just to forget about the division and get behind their team for for a month coming up in three weeks time. I can only see that as a positive thing. Uh, with due respect to Neymar's legal team, it is certainly a fact that there have been uh, court cases uh, taken against uh, Neymar when it comes to his taxes. Um, And it should be said of the most recent one, the uh, Spanish prosecutor's office have dropped allegations of corruption and fraud against the Brazilian. He was facing a two-year prison sentence plus a 10 million euro fine for alleged irregularities relating to his transfer to Barcelona in 2013. So that now has been dropped as well. I mean, he's in... It will, pre- it will proceed as a civil process. Okay. As a civil case. He is in brilliant form whilst all of this is going on, you know, whilst yes. he's getting destroyed by um, the masses for his public support of Bolsonaro while these legal cases circle around him in, in various guises. He scored 14 goals and had 11 assists in 18 matches for PSG. So he's never been better in one way. No. Uh, and this World Cup, his form is usually better in the first half of the season. The injuries often come in, in, the, in the second half of the season. I would imagine that Brazil's coach would far, far rather he had kept his political opinion to to himself. Um, everyone has the right to, to vote for whoever they want for. The, the, the feeling I got was the team were less, the members of the national team, were less liable to proclaim their, their their support for Bolsonaro than they were four years ago. 
in the case of some of them, I think, and, and this goes for some footballers generally, they've, if they've got wives in the health profession, that helps because their wives have been on the front line and, and they well know that the number of deaths, I mean, the, 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 the whole COVID thing was a prolonged case of far-right reality denial. Firstly, COVID does not exist. It's a hoax. It's part of some kind of project fear. Secondly, it's a little flu. It's going to go away of its own accord. Thirdly, there ain't going to be, there's not going to be a, a second wave. Forget that one. Um, fourthly, it's going to go away of its own accord anyway, so we don't need vaccines. And then, oh God, you know, we need vaccines. Uh, so many people died who didn't need to die. And so the, the, the impression that I've get, I'm getting is those with wives in, in, in health professions have, have, uh, have maybe had an influence on, on their husbands. Neymar, though, he chose to go very public with his support for, for Bolsonaro, even appearing on live on, on, on Bolsonaro's uh, big live TV uh, um, uh, internet event. Now, this is the same Neymar who just a couple of weeks ago to the Spanish court said he, he, just, he just signs the documents that his dad puts in front of him. Um, I don't think the Neymar school of political philosophy goes very, very deep. Mm. But once he's made it public, then that puts him in the, in, in the, in the firing line. Um, and as people have quite justifiably pointed out to him, you know, he he, he came to the support of Vinicius Jr. when Vinicius Jr. was uh, was on the end of racism in Spain. You're backing a leader who says that that's all whining, self-pity, stop crying and get on with it. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's put himself in a, in a contradiction there that he could have avoided. Mm. It is unfortunate, I think, for Brazil's World Cup campaign that he made that so public. Had he had he just voted for whoever we, whoever he wanted, it, it wouldn't be a problem. But he has put himself in the political arena where I don't think he has the intellectual tools to deal with the questions that will quite legitimately now come his way. Yeah, I was just going to ask, given that you can understand him in his native tongue and get a sense of him as a person, if his contradictory positions would occur to him all that strongly. You know, I honestly don't think there's a bad there's a bad person there. I really don't. And I've only spoken to him once, and it was a long, long time ago. Uh, and the impression was that there's a, there's a sweet kid there. Yeah. And it it is noticeable how popular he is with many of his teammates. That may not uh, apply to Kylian Mbappe, but there you're dealing with an ego battle. But he's he's uh, with many of his his Brazilian national team um, colleagues. He's he he's very popular. But he has been turned into a commodity from a very, very early age in uh, in a scheme that we talked about this with the, yeah. the documentary about him, about how how he is seen as uh, more than a human being. Sometimes he's, 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 he's or less than a human being as as a driver of of commercial opportunities. Uh, and what is best for those commercial opportunities may not be the same thing that uh, that, that is best for for a society. I'm not one that ever thinks that the super rich um, should should be should be given a platform in life merely because they're they're super rich. Now the idea that just because one is good at, at market exchange, uh, one should be a a, a, a political spokesman uh, is 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 one that I think is is entirely damaging to to democracy, especially maybe in the case of someone like Neymar, who I'm not sure has ever seriously thought about uh, about these issues. Football on off the ball with Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.
a slight change of pace. There's a new documentary about Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, that is, on Dazone, uh, which I think uh, people are generally interested in. So, uh, I mean, there, there's so many approaches you can take when it comes to Ronaldo. I saw in his interview with Sid Lowe to publicise the documentary, The Phenomenon, it's called. Uh, so apparently a fan group had reached out to him recently and gone through his uh, 400 however many goals and they had identified that he had dribbled around the keeper more than 90 times in his mm. career. So like a fifth of his goals, Ronaldo goes around the keeper. And I mean, he, he, he truly was extraordinary, especially in that early period before the injuries. I mean, he was like a great mm. player, obviously, in his latter years at Madrid. But reading that line about going around the goalkeeper 90 times, in that weird sweet spot, late 90s, early 2000s, before YouTube has really got him and before all the TV coverage is, is everywhere, I have these vivid memories of occasionally, you know, as a teenager, seeing these glimpses of, of Ronaldo, these all too rare glimpses of him like doing a gazillion step overs and almost melting a goalkeeper and going around him and scoring mm. and just thinking, oh my God, what is this? And there is, I mean, the phenomenon was the perfect uh, nickname for that young Ronaldo. Mm. It was, yeah. I, I think in the entire history of football, maybe Kylian Mbappe can challenge some of this, but I don't think there's ever been anyone faster and more powerful running with the ball. That's number one. Coupled with that extraordinary ability to slow down at the decisive moment, slow down when he's going to finish, eyes still, picking his spot. So it's, it's power with coolness. And that power with coolness also gave him the capacity to do the keeper because... Uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the film Raging Bull. Mm. I love talking about this from it, but th- there are several times that you see things from the perspective of the boxer, played, you know, Jake DeMotta, played by Robert De Niro, and you see it in slow motion. And for the truly great sportsman, sports person, Neymar is in this category. Things are happening in slow motion. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. It's like he's, 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 got, he's got an hour to see things that only happen in a fraction of a second. In his mind, he's already seeing, oh yeah, I'll push it through there and then I can run around the other side. And Ronaldo was the same. So uh, uh, Ronaldo, because goalkeepers quite like that one-on-one situation. Usually it's the goalkeeper who commands that situation. It's the goalkeeper who forces the striker to shoot the way that he wants to shoot or to go the way. But Ronaldo always had one up on the goalkeeper. He always controlled that situation because of the, the, these, these combination of talents, the, the, the power and pace with which he can run, the, uh, the ability to change pace, to slow down, to keep calm, to pick his spots. Uh, and he, he really was I mean, he, he, an, an extraordinary player. He is, I think, the start of the global age of football isn't mm. he? And he's the one when, when the Champions League goes absolutely massive and so on, when international football goes absolutely massive, when cable TV comes in as, as a big player, he's the, he is the poster boy for, for that new globalised era of the game where kids growing up in Dublin will know the, 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 uh, the, the first, uh, the starting 11 of, the, of, of Sevilla, you know, where, uh, you know, only a few years before. And I saw this very, very clearly with, with Brazil, uh, 1994, the British fan didn't know any of that team before the tournament. You know, that mildly Romario, because he played the Champions League final a, a couple of weeks before. Mm. By 1998, you know, the Nike money is in there and so on, and Ronaldo has exploded. Lots of British fans. They knew the entire Brazil team. Uh, and that, that's, that, that's the moment when the game really globalises. 
and Ronaldo was was the poster boy for that movement. He said a couple of interesting things. In the documentary, there's a scene where he's with Roberto Carlos and he asks Carlos, his roommate at the time, ahead of the 98 World Cup final where he famously had the seizure, how long was I out for? And Roberto Carlos says three minutes. And apparently when the director, Duncan McMath, took the final cut to London to show Ronaldo, uh, he started crying when he watched it. And what he said to Sid Lowe was, I didn't understand why so many bad things were happening to me. It was so hard. The decisions someone so young, just 22, had to take, all the pressure and without the psychological help is how he reflects on that period. Yeah. And he talked about how mental health is talked about so openly now. He said in our day, it was gladiator- It was gladiatorial. Yeah. You were you were thrown in and they waited to see who'd come out alive. So yeah. even for all the, the kind of happy-go-lucky demeanour, uh, quite clearly that seizure was about more than a, a health issue. There was a mental health component to it and he wasn't immune to the pressure on him. No, uh, he seems very, very calm. Um, it's also, I think it's easy to forget. Because I, I watched that build-up. I was over here from just after USA 94. They were quite an ordinary side without him, you know. Mm. And they really were. And they were, I made my name really saying France is going to win the final, even before we, we, we heard about the Ronaldo stuff. If you look at that World Cup, every game against European opposition was tough. You know, they just beat Scotland with an own goal. They lost to Norway. They had a, a real titanic struggle against Denmark and Holland should have put them away. Didn't on, 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 on penalties, but really should, should have beaten them. And he got them through that game. Um, and uh, so, and he knew, he knew the extent to which it depended on him. And it was all too much. Um, Brazil had pioneered the use of sports psychologists back in 1958. Very, very premature. And the, the fella had uh, really nothing of any use to contribute. It was too early for sports psychology. Um, maybe they should have they should have been a little bit better four decades later um, because it's very interesting to, to hear mm. such a calm. And he, he won me over. Not long afterwards, when there was a, there was a commission of inquiry in Brazil's Congress into the Nike deal, and, and there were all these conspiracy theories going around Brazil that the team had thrown the game, you know. So he was he was back to give evidence, uh, and I f- I felt so proud of him, and also proud of football because he was he was so good, you know. He was mm. he was so he was he was cool and calm and, and articulate and intelligent. Uh, and giving really good answers. And you're thinking, this is a shy little kid from the working class suburbs of Rio, just down the road from where, where I met my wife, actually. Uh, and uh, look, at, look at what he's become. This, this global citizen who, who is, is in control of, of, of who he is and, and where he's going. It was one of those moments when I felt not only proud of him, but proud of football. Because football had given him chances to grow that he wouldn't have had otherwise. Those knee injuries between that 1998 period and even the 02 World Cup, where it's redemption for Ronaldo, even in spite of that dreadful haircut, and he scores the two goals in the final. Um, my memory of that period is that even in 02, and I guess he was only 26 then, but my memory looking on was that this is like latter day, can't beat yeah. five, six men easily. Ronaldo, this is a very limited Ronaldo, even, even by 26. I think it's one of the great World Cup stories, his his redemption. And it, it shows you what an all-round talent he was because, all right, there were things that he could that he was doing in the late 90s, you know, before the injuries, that he was no longer doing. Mm. 
And you you didn't see that burst anything like as much anymore. But you you saw a wide range of skills all the same. And my favourite from that one is is the toe poke that beats Turkey in in the uh, the semi final. Yeah. And it's not particularly pretty, but it, it's effective. It's simple. It's very very clever. Uh, it's the right solution at at, at the right time. Uh, and uh, so I, I think what you're seeing there it, it reminds me perhaps a little bit of Pele in 1970. Um, I appreciate that many people didn't see a great deal of the Pele before that because, it's, you know, 70s is, is the start, you know, in, in global uh, terms, it's start of the TV age. But he was better in 62 um, before he, he got, he bulked up a little bit and he got kicked out of the World Cup in 66. I mean, 70, he, he hasn't got the same capacity to run with the ball. You know, that ball bouncing alongside him like an obedient puppy, I've always seen it, you know. He doesn't quite have that anymore. But the awareness of what's around him, you know, the little passes that he lays off for the, the goal that effectively wins the World Cup, which is the one he lays up for for Jairzinho against England, or that that wonderful one that, that closes the book, the goal that Carlos Alberto, the fourth goal against Italy in the final. He's just doing the right thing at the right time. And uh, uh, the not a lot of player players, very few players can have the calm in the penalty area that they have in the centre circle. Mm. Uh, and Pele could, Ronaldo could, and that's that's one of the things that made them great, even even past their physical prime. Uh, you mentioned uh, being struck by even his intelligence and coolness in that inquiry in '98. Uh, I don't know much of Ronaldo. I don't know much of his private life. I, I I I'm wary of you know, and it's it's so often done whenever we're talking about famous individuals of of elevating them beyond where they actually are. But. Yeah. In the, in the course of this interview with Sid Lowe, he was asked about the politicisation of the Brazilian jersey. And I just thought his, his answer was a cut above the average footballer, I thought. What he, what he said when he was asked who the shirt belongs to, he said to all Brazilians, whoever wants to use it, uses it. There's no appropriation. There's a political war in Brazil, like in Spain and the US, everywhere. We're in a very polarised moment, very intolerant. You choose a side, the other side hates you. I ask us to be more tolerant of different ideas and less radical. There can only be dialogue, improvement without extremists. I haven't declared my vote precisely because of where the Brazilian people find themselves. I'm calmer and accepting of people's choices. Everyone needs Brazil to be a better country. I thought that was, um, that you know, that, that was good. Yeah. And he's usually politically, he's centre-right. Right. We'll be interesting to see where where, where he where he is now because that, that that could almost be a bellwether for Brazil. You know, mm. uh, I, I would like to think that uh, if he has flirted, that he's one of the ones who are, are recoverable. Okay. But I would like to think he hasn't flirted in, in in the first place. Well, it sounds like regardless, he would have his eyes open to being recoverable, which is uh, more than you can say, unfortunately, about lots at the moment. But uh, I presume, unlike maybe Neymar particularly at the moment, he's not a divisive figure in Brazil. He's, uh, he's beloved. Yes, he's, he's the phenomenon. Yeah. And he's especially beloved now by fans of, of Cruzeiro um, because it, it's his club. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, he came in cost-cutting and getting rid of idols. But they've, uh, they've just gone back to the first division. They're, they're second division champions by a huge margin. So uh, that, that, that shows you the business acumen of the guy. You know, he, he's he's uh, got his team to achieve its, its objective in financial constraints. OK, interesting. Um, Tim, pleasure as always. Thank you so much. It was mine. Thank you.